Hi, everyone. Um, really quick, before we start today's show, I just wanted to give you all a heads up that my amazing guest and I do discuss matters of consent from about the 54-minute mark to around the 55-minute, 10-second mark. So if that triggers you, please feel free to skip ahead. And without further ado, on with the show. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new sparkly episode of Not Aspirational with Hannah Brown. I'm your host, Hannah Brown. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you all are having an amazing week as per usual. Um, really quick, right off the bat, if you don't follow me already, follow me at Hannah A. Brown on Instagram and Twitter, Hannah A. Brown Zero on the TikToks. And if you just can't get enough of me, head on over to patreon.com slash not aspirational, where just five doll hairs a month gets you access to all of the bonus episodes. And I'm currently recapping season one of Laguna Beach. Um, I just wrapped recapping season two of Roni. So there's all kinds of goodies over there. Check it out if you want. And if you're loving this podcast, please do me the utmost honor of heading on over to iTunes and leaving a rating and a review. It's like the most helpful thing you can do. It's so supportive, so kind, and it's free, my favorite F word. All right, now let's introduce today's amazing guest. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Sasha Morfa. Sasha is the iconic host behind the hit Bravo recap series, The Bravo Breakdown. She's also a super fucking talented actor. I mean, she's been in Black Panther, Scandal, True Detective, the list goes on and on. And we had such a wonderful conversation. We talked about how The Bravo Breakdown came to be. We talked about Sasha's journey as an actor and all the hard work that it took to get to where she is today. We also talked about Sasha's experiences with colorism, both growing up and within the acting space. And she told the story of the time she ran into Ariana Grande in an elevator. We truly had such an amazing time. I love this episode. I know y'all are going to love it too. Without further ado, let's get into it. Here's my conversation with Sasha Morfa. Oh my gosh, Sasha Morfa. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to chat with you. Thank you for having me, Hannah. You pronounce my name flawlessly. Oh my gosh. I'm a big fan. I'm very impressed because people get tripped up with the W, you know? Oh, really? What do people say? They they go like more foul or like just weird, mostly more foul, but it's just like saw, like chainsaw, more foul. Yeah. Morpha. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, of course. Um, big fan of yours. Have listened to you on every podcast of all time. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. No, truly. I'm like, I can I just really quick, let's get into it right away. You launched the Bravo Breakdown this year in yes. quarantine. 2020 last year. Oh my gosh, wait, shit. Yeah, 2020. Oh god. No. Um no, crazy. skyrocketed. I mean, garnered you thousands of followers, tens of thousands of followers, endless podcast appearances. Like, I mean, Bravo is ripping off your name now, which I have feelings about. Um, but first, will you just explain like how the Bravo breakdown came to be? 
I love how you're like, yeah, she skyrocketed. And here we, here I am, you know, it's like life is still the same, but we skyrocketed. You know how Instagram is. You're like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I go to work. Oh my gosh. You need to get like SponCon because you have like the numbers. You should be making all the money off of the IG. Well, thank you. Well, I appreciate that. And I'm a big fan of yours, BTW. Thank you. I think you're so, your impressions are hilarious. Yeah, your direct you. one was so good. I love, I love them all. Your, uh, I loved your Denise one when you did the outfit with the boots and the flare. I was like, yes. Thank Spot. you. Oh, that's so such funny. an honor. And I relate so much when you talk about how long it takes. Cause I know, like, I just, whenever I watch it, I just like calculating like how much time this takes. Cause I know how time consuming it is to do that type of stuff. So that is I, one of my later questions for you. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. So I started in April, um, kind of like the idea came to me in April and I started posting really, I, I kind of marketed it's June. Cause June is when I kind of like really met all of the community. Like I met like Ono Bravo, uh, really I met Ono Bravo and then she just you know how it is like once you meet one person then you kind of just meet everyone at once so it's kind of mm-hmm. like that in June. but for the first two months when I started in April you know I had never I never ran and I had my own account you know just like your personal account but I never ran an account really so I really had no expectations I just I was like I don't know what to expect you think it's one way looking at it from the outside but then when mm-hmm. you actually do it it's just you never know like you just you know how Instagram is like certain things fit certain things don't yeah and then you, you or you spend hours on something and then no one watches it and you're like, holy shit, like, why am I wasting my time? Yeah. So, you know what I mean? So it's kind of <laughs> like that thing of just like, oh, I'll just do this because I literally had nothing else going on. I, you're an actor, right? Mm-hmm. You, you live in LA? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. We'll get into that. Okay. So you, so you really- Can't wait so to hang know, out. Actors. Yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, but there's nothing going on, as you know, like March 18th, it was like zero auditions. There was like a few commercial stuff like digitally, but for the most part, everything slowed down. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm used to going out on a lot of commercials because I have rep here and I have rep in Atlanta. So I'm like constantly taping and going to audition. So when all of that stopped, I had so much free time and I was like, okay, what is this going to look like for me? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of my actor friends immediately jumped into the like creative mode of like writing scripts and like collaborating. They would like do these Zoom like writing sessions and all these. And I was just like, well, uh, I don't want to write. Like I was just like, I just want to do something that's just fun, like without having these like expectations, you know? Yeah. Well, that's kind of where I got the idea um, of just, you know, I just really loved Bravo. And I was like, I'm going to be watching Bravo regardless. And I just kind of found like, I I followed Bravo Historian for a pretty long time, but I didn't Mm -hmm. know that it was like all of these other accounts. And then once I started following them, I was like, oh my gosh, like, I couldn't believe it actually existed. Like this community on Instagram of like people that love Bravo and are super kind and super inclusive. Like it's Mm -hmm. some of the best people that I've ever met in my entire life on Instagram. But um, yeah, I saw all the memes and I was like, hey, how can I get in the mix? And I was like, I'm not a writer. And then just the video. And I, I was like, I don't want to, you know, you see so much YouTuber. It's like, hey, welcome to my channel. Yes. Click down below, link to, you know, all that stuff. I was like, I can't. <laughs> no. And all of my actor friends make so much fun of reality stars. You know how they are because they're jealous because they're on TV and they're working and they're not. And they think that they're stealing their jobs. 100%. Their jobs. <laughs> it's like, they're not stealing your jobs. This is a totally different audience. You know, so they give me so much shit about even watching it so when I ran the idea by one of my friends like hey I'm thinking about like you know just just for, just for quarantine only because of quarantine I'm just gonna do this like little like thing with these videos about reality yeah. shows like under my breath <laughs> she gave me so much shit about it and her and I are not friends anymore <gasps> I literally was like okay if you cannot affirm who I am to my core you're gonna shame me 
for my love of quality television, obviously there were other things that led up to it, but that was the moment oh when my I was God. like, okay, I can't. In the words of Aviva Drescher, you are not a well-wisher. Okay. Okay. You are not. And I cannot align myself with someone who is not a well-wisher. Truthfully. Even if you don't agree, you know? Yeah. So, that, so we literally stopped talking, like, probably, like, a couple of weeks after that. Like, as I was just like, okay, whatever, I'm just going to do this Bravo thing, and I don't need to talk to her anyways. She's, like, one of my only friends that I actually was, like, trying to stay in contact with during COVID. And then it was, like, every time the topic, the topic would come up, it would be an argument. And oh, my God. Such, she was so disgusted. She's like, you're an actor. Like, how could you ever watch this stuff? Like, it was so toxic. I have so many thoughts on this because I really, like, I've run into the same issue. I was, like, in an acting apprenticeship, like, many, many years ago. And I remember, like, I got a lot of guff from the other actors because they were like, oh, like, you're into that. And it's like, why is it endearing when Jennifer Lawrence is into Bravo? Like, she's taken seriously as an actor. She has a fucking Oscar. But Sarah Paulson. Yes, so many, like... Very skilled artists, Lady Gaga. I mean, the list goes on and on. Love Bravo. But then, like, for us, it's like, oh, you're not a serious actor. It's like, no, that's not that's not the truth. I know. I know. Totally. So that was kind of, yeah, that was the beginning of it when I was like, okay. Really, it was like, if you don't affirm something in me that is so passionate, like, I have such a passion for this. Yeah. Entirety. Like, what what are we going to talk about? You know what I mean? Like, what do you even talk about? If we yes. And it did, I didn't realize until we were stuck at home because we would just do Zoom little cocktail hours and we have nothing, like, what are we talking about? Because we would normally talk about auditions. Like, what did you audition for? Did you just uh, like, You're like, oh, let me see your thing, like, blah, blah, blah. And it was just like, now we have nothing else to talk about. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so I started making the content. And then, honestly, when the Black Lives Matter, you know, the, the movement brought itself back into the forefront, it didn't, a lot of people think it just happened in June. It's like, no, this has been around for, like, what's 2013? It's been around mm-hmm. for a minute. Um, but once people started paying attention to it and a lot of, I, I believe a lot of people went silent for a week around the, the beginning of, there was like a silent where people just like, they were listening and learning or whatever. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, well I'm black. So I don't need to listen to learn anything. Like yeah. talking to me right now. Like, you know what I mean? So I'm just going to keep posting. Yes. So I just kept on posting. And I think that window of silence, like Luann reposted my stuff, like a bunch of Sonia friended me, like a bunch, Ramona followed me. Like, it was like crazy. Like, I was like, what is happening? And they're like, they're like guilt. They're like racist guilt. They're like, oh, I'm gonna follow this page. Like, yes, I will support her. I'm doing my duty as an ally. Like I am following this black Bravo page. So that was like the, really the beginning of like getting like people to pay attention. Cause it was like, oh, it was an easy way for people to amplify a voice that's speaking mm-hmm. their language. Like, oh, they're, I love Bravo already. And right. it just supposed to be a black person, you know, whether they're racist or not, it's a good look to support a black creator during that time. Now it's a whole different story. People don't care anymore. But during that time period, it was like, if you are not speaking up or supporting in some kind of way, it was very obvious, you know? Mm-hmm. So that I basically just like kind of took advantage of that window of time. And then, and then also just like, there were, there were so many opportunities that presented themselves for me to insert my personal story that how it relates to Bravo. And I, mm-hmm. I really am so grateful that I was welcomed in the community during that time because I would have never felt the courage to like put myself out there and talk about like my hair texture or colorism or all these different experiences that I had. Number one, because I didn't know that they were actually wrong. Like I didn't understand microaggressions or colorism to the depth that I do now mm-hmm. because like resources just like weren't there. Like no one was telling me, like even my own mom, like she doesn't know, like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. 
experienced it for so long. She doesn't know how to explain it. So there were so many resources that were presenting themselves during that time, like a lot of Instagram pages and things like that. And then whenever I would see these little things pop up in reality, in our shows, I have noticed them before, but would ignore. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can actually like point these things out and not use it as like, oh, a teaching moment. Cause I really, I don't, I don't want to teach anyone anything. All I want to do is like share my experience. So maybe if they don't understand it in this way, then maybe someone that they just happen to follow and they relate to me in a different way. They're like, oh, now I see what you're saying. Like now I understand why saying this comment to someone or saying you're well-spoken or touching someone's hair or anything like that, that is so nuanced. They can understand like how it would affect someone that they follow. And they, cause when people, people follow you and they see your stories every day, it, it, they have such a sense of comfort that yes, see that circle your face every day. So if you're seeing your face and then you're saying something to them that they haven't heard before, or maybe they had, and they didn't quite hear it. You just don't, you just never know how just seeing it from your point of view can just shift their entire perspective. And some black person can end up getting a job because they didn't yeah. know they were judging them off of the spelling of their name. Like I used to get like, so some people would spell my name S-A-S-H-A and others S-A-C-H-A. And it's so mm-hmm. interesting. Like whenever it was with the C, they assumed that I was white. And then it was with the H, S-H-A. They assumed that it was like, even though it's not a black quote unquote, it's a Russian name, but mm-hmm. the C is more of like the Russian spelling of it, I guess. I don't know. It's oh. very like, different nuances, like just the way, like if you spell your name certain ways, it'll come across as a black person or a white person. So just like, and then now it's like maybe someone that's looking at a resume and they were going to write someone off. They don't, mm-hmm. they, they can double check themselves. Like, what are you thinking? What is that spelling triggering in you? You know what I mean? When right. You, why do you associate that with blackness? And if you do associate that with blackness, why does that make someone less hireable? Yeah. They're fully qualified for so that was really the beginning of it. And that's what made me keep doing it because for me, like I love Bravo, especially now that I'm like, I don't know, six months in or something like the, my love for Bravo isn't enough for me to continue doing the amount of work that I'm doing. It really is like the connection. Yeah. Like the DMs that you get of people being like telling you these things and sharing their experience. Like that's what keeps it going. Cause it's like, okay, I feel like really the ultimate goal. I mean, if you're going to say, Oh, what are we here for? Like, why were we even created? If there's for no other reason than just to be of service to someone mm-hmm. else in, in some capacity. So like, mm-hmm. I feel like I have this platform that I get to like perform and be creative. And then I also get to be of service, which is like, oh my gosh, like how lucky are we? Yeah. It's like you the know? best of all worlds. And yeah, like to your point, people develop like a relationship with you through their phone. So I mean, I think about how Instagram can reach so many people and if someone doesn't have a diverse group of friends, but then they're like Instagram friends with you. They can invest in you and be like, oh shit, I can look at the world around me differently, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's given me, I think I was telling Moni, it's like, I grew up around, uh, you know, I mean, I have a black family. My dad is African. My mom is African-American. So I have like the black American experience and then the Mm -hmm. African-American, the African-immigrant experience. But then socially, I was always the only black girl, you know, right school, dance class, any, you know, the arts, there's not like black kids in the arts because one is not easily accessible to get quality training Mm -hmm. is most likely very expensive. Mm -hmm. And just statistically, the income is just not there for black families to be able to afford that. So that's just where I always ended up. And so I'm even grateful for the Instagram that like, even out in LA, it's like, if I go to an acting class, unless it's like a black acting coach, I'm going to probably be one of maybe one or two other black girls in the class. And this is LA. Yeah. You know what I'm saying like when I was in Atlanta, it wasn't like that, but in LA it's like, 
I don't see a lot of black people unless it's intentionally like, oh, black improv night at UCB or like this group is an all black group. But if it's just like a generic acting class, more than likely I'm going to be in the minority. So like even just having my Instagram is giving me that space to like have a circle of black people that I'm like constantly in contact with around me because it's like it's hard to find that when you're an artist because it's just not as easily accessible. Yeah. People of color. Yeah. So... Wow. I mean, that's like, I love your page, obviously. And I've, I've learned so much in your videos too. And I think that's like something that you do like so brilliantly is like you couch like your own personal stories and experiences and, and lessons within like the Bravo narrative. So it's like, you'll be watching and it's like, you're making a joke one second, the next second, you're like, this is something that really matters to me. And I, Specifically, I'm thinking about the Sutton episode with, uh, you know, her saying my kitchen is hot and like what that actually meant. And I was like, wow, that's something I never would have learned if I yeah. didn't follow you. So like, it's just amazing. That. Makes me so, that, that makes me so happy to hear. Oh, I'm just, I'm fangirling over here. Oh, Can I ask? I'm seriously, I'm not kidding. Like you're one of my favorite little, like my, this is like, when I think about my like allies, like my white girls crew that I'm like, these are my girls, like you, Chelsea Ono Bravo, Amanda, <sighs> like you were like my brands by Bravo, like my girls that I know are like, yeah, they're, they are out here. You guys are, whenever I follow you, you always step up to the plate. Like you don't ever miss an opportunity to speak <sighs> out on, you know, racism or anything that's happening that needs to be talked about, you are always one of the ones that's opening up and using your space to do that. So I'm very aware of that and I really appreciate it. Thank you. You know, one Hannah Brown has to do it and it's not going to be the other one. Thank you. Seriously. I I know this is the right Hannah Brown. I get so mad because so many people in June, so many white girls, let's be specific, were like muted, listening and learning. Learning. And I'm like, what did you learn? Like, why don't you cite some sources? Like, why, why did that work stop after a couple no. months? It just makes me very angry. But and the thing I don't get is this is like, just because I'm black, that doesn't mean that like I know everything about racism. So I'm not expecting every white person to get up here and write a fucking paragraph in their stories. You literally only have to press one button. Right. Share the story. You don't have to say anything. Yeah. Like, repost. Yeah. And then you want to be like, oh, I don't have the words. It's such a devastating. No. You literally, if you, if I see someone posting something in their stories, that is the right message. And I know what side they're on because you don't have to say anything. It's just like, these are the facts. Sometimes showing your followers the facts mm-hmm. is all the work that needs to be done. Cause a lot of people are still in denial. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the thing. Like I, I just, everything I learned that's of value is because of all the amazing black content creators I follow. Yeah. And it's like, I don't just know this stuff. Right. Make like you think I really can just pull out all of these definitions. Oh, this is the definition of this. Like, I know that I've experienced it, and that's what's right for me. Like, I've experienced everything that these women are talking about, these black men and women that are making these pages. I experienced everything that they post about, but I never could put it into words mm-hmm. like they're doing now. Like, they will put it into they will, the post, will have like one word and then five slides about it. And I'm like mm-hmm. nodding my head to every slide, like, yep, that has happened to me. Yeah, and now I have source to like, I don't have to come up with the words or really the emotional labor to like try to write, you know, explain and experience of why it happened. I can just put a post up and it's that easy right. for, to get where I'm coming from. Right. I want to ask you something. Yes. How did the Bravo Breakdown jingle come oh to be? Literally. It gets stuck in my head. I'm like, Bravo Breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> it literally, like, I swear to God, it came to me in an instant. 
Like I had been watching a bunch. I don't know what show I had been watching. I don't know if it was Moesha or something. Maybe it was Girlfriends. But I was just like, I want to do a song like that. Like, because it was like right after I kind of decided I was going to do the Instagram. I was like, okay, well, if we do it, it needs to have a song and it needs to be 90s. Like it needs to feel like a 90s. Like, yes. Living single or something like that. Yeah. And I was just like, and then and I was like, and I don't want it to be a bunch of lyrics. Just like, just say the name and that's it. Then so then I was just like, yeah, bravo, breakdown. And then it's like, bro, then I did like the harmonies. I was like, yes, this is it. This is it. Yes. Breaking it down. Breaking it down. I love it. I love every second. I know. I graced you with my, my singing skills. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Well, like also, I mean, that's the thing that's like another thing that's so impressive about your videos is like, you're an incredible host. You have so much valuable insight to share, but also like the production quality, like the editing. And like, for me, like editing my own podcast, I'm like, that's just an auditory medium. It's like, you know, your looks, the set, the editing, the music. It's just like so wildly impressive. Thank you so much. Yeah. 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 yeah it, it, thank you. It's, it, was, it was one of those things where, and I've, I think I've said this before to another friend of mine, it's like, because I've done so many self-tapes over my career and you can mm-hmm. relate as an actor and, and, and I'm talking thousands, like mm-hmm. thousands of self-tapes that I have done. So I have seen myself on camera for hours at a time staring mm-hmm. back at it and like so the, the skill of self-correcting and self-producing really has really they the, because of the way the industry is set up has forced me to do that if we weren't taping so much doing self-tapes if it were old school like auditions in person I probably wouldn't even have been able to make this account because I just mm-hmm. wouldn't have had the skill set but because I edit myself tapes all the time and I'm so used to seeing myself on camera, it was one of those things where it's like, okay, well, let me just put this, re- all this rejection that I've had over the years of all the no's that I've gotten and use, at least use a skill set for something. Yeah. So luckily it was an easier transition. It, it honestly was, would have probably been easier for me than doing audio because mm-hmm. I rely so much on subtext, mm-hmm. you know, like, like the in between the lines, like I, I love so much where like, I don't have to say anything. You just have that moment. And then yeah. you put them everything you need in your eyes. You know what I mean? So I, I really, I rely on the visual component of it. But I appreciate that. I, and I'm not going to lie. I put my fiance to work. He is my partner. So he does a lot. He takes all my pictures and like does all of my like Photoshopping and stuff. Oh, I love that. As yeah. you should. I'm like, if you're going to be here, get to work, honey. <laughs> wait, wait, also, I think you might have said this on what else is going on. Uh, hosted by friend of the pod, Taria Faison. Uh, shout out. Isn't that where you, isn't he uh, the one who made the purple like yes. canvas that you put behind yes. you? Yes, he did. Iconic. Yes, we went to the fabric uh, district in downtown LA mm-hmm. and he was like, okay, let's pick out something. And I was like that purple, the fur, I was like, purple is royalty. It's, you know, it represents, it just feels black royalty. Oh. And then the fur was just like cozy. And I was like, yeah, this is it. We'll just put this up. And we literally just like prop it up in the back, get behind the couch. Before we film and just like, the only thing that is annoying, like you said, the, the visual part is like, okay, I got to do my hair. I got to do my fucking makeup because I never wear makeup. Mm-hmm. I got to put a top on. Like, it's just like, ugh, I can wear underwear at the bottom, but I still have to put on a decent shirt. <laughs> so, ugh, that is the only part that I'm like, ugh. If I had a budget, the first thing that I would hire, wouldn't even because I hate the editing, don't get me wrong, but the first thing I would hire would be a stylist. Sasha, this is why I don't do more videos of my impressions because I'm lazy and because I don't want to get ready. Right? It sucks. 
else. I don't want to do it. I know. It's the worst. That would be the first. Like, I'll be like, I'll handle the production, the editing, the marketing, everything. If I can pay someone for me to sit in the chair, they put my face, they do everything. And then I just do the content. That would be, that would be ideal. Yeah. It's like, it is annoying because I don't actually care. Like you're, you and I don't actually, because some people like, they like to do themselves up. Like they do these YouTubers, they put on full face of makeup like every day, every day. And yeah, it's, it's annoying, but I, I, I can't look at myself on camera looking like shit. I, I feel that I like, I'll be in a mood, like maybe once or twice a week where I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. Like, I'm going to make this like an experience for myself, but I I don't like doing it when I'm not like struck by that feeling of like, let's get ready. And then even when I do get ready, I'm like, I'm stuck in my house. It's not like I get to like go out to drinks with friends and like show up and then have my friends be like, oh my gosh, you look so cute. You know, Mm -hmm. I miss Mm -hmm. that. I know. I miss it. Home stretch. We got to get, this needs to be over. So you and me and Steven, who else is here? I think Kiki Hall of Shame, she's here. Oh, so oh all gosh. of Ryan Bailey. Yes, Ryan Bailey. We can go to Dorit's room. <laughs> yeah, that would be the best night of my life. I already can, I already know. All <laughs> know. of us follow pages out together. Oh God, we'll probably end up getting arrested or something. Like, <laughs> Were you doing coke in the bathroom? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it would just be everyone quoting we Bravo quote. all night long. I know, I know, I know. <sighs> I love it. So speaking of acting though, because you also like are absolutely crushing it as an actor. I mean, you've been in True Detective, Black Panther, Sleepy Hollow, Watchmen. The list goes on and on and on. Oh my gosh, Hannah. How did you break into acting? And did you always know that that was like what you wanted to do? Uh, I love you so much. And, and I love, this is why I love talking to actors. Cause I Me know, you, I know you get it. I'm like, yes, she gets it. I can tell by the look on your eye as you're reading off each credit. You're like, you know, <laughs> what each credit means the blood fucking sweat and tears. Yeah. I, I know. I know. It's crazy. Um, okay. So I started acting in high school or whatever, like doing like theater and plays. And then I went to school for musical theater. Mm-hmm. And after that, I started working in regional theater, like a uh, summer stock sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I haven't, but I've heard of it. Okay. So for the, those who don't know, summer stock is where they pay for all of your housing. Like, so they'll put all of the cast in a, an apartment and you have like roommates. So they pay for all of that and they give you per diem. And then you just like work at the theater for the summer. So you're like not really making any money, but you're like not paying rent. So mm-hmm. you're like kind of making money, but then you spend it when you go out on the weekend. So I was like, okay, this is like fun for like, you know, up until like 23 or 24 25 mm-hmm. maybe but like I was like this is not going to be sustainable mm-hmm. so that was kind of where I was like okay wanting to make this sh- transition into film and television because mm-hmm. I just from what I could understand it's the you the, the money that you make for the amount of time that you have to put in is insane like to do a whole run of a show you mean you tell me I can show up one day and do a commercial and I can make all of that money in one day of work that I would take me an entire season to make on a show, on a theater show. Yeah. So that was really the, the thing that got me. I was like, I love it so much. And I love the singing and the dancing and all that stuff. But it, I always knew that I was like, hey, this is not going to be mean long term. And I never really felt like home. I was like, OK, because you know, with theater, even TV and film is starting to evolve a lot to where the representation has gotten so much better in the past 10 years. But but uh, theater is really lag. Like it's like if you're black it's either going to be like, oh, they're trying to make it like a colorblind cast where they'll just cast randomly, or it's like you're playing color purple or ragtime, like you're playing those stereotypical roles. So I also felt really boxed in. Right. The musical theater, I just knew that I wasn't going to have as much range. So that's kind of where I made the tradition to come out here and it's transition to come to LA. And really for like five years, Hannah, it was the bullshit of the waiting the tables, 
and not really getting auditions for months and months and months on end and booking maybe once or twice a year and doing the student films and the low budget this and you know all of that it was horrible yeah and like looking back like oh looking back on it don't you didn't you like it taught you so much it's like the school of hard rock no it sucked. The first five years out here, I was a miserable. I was so depressed. And I'm so mad that I did not start watching Vanderpump Rules then. Because I did not start <laughs> watching Vanderpump Rules until I left L.A. in 2015 because I was, like, feeling like I was missing L.A. And I was like, oh, what's this show? But mm-hmm. I had heard about it when I lived here, but I refused to watch it because I worked at the Mondrian, which <gasps> is where they were, at the Sky Bar. And oh, my like, gosh. I was like, fuck them. I'm not watching a stupid fucking show. Like, whatever. Like, it just felt, I was like, they're actors too. And why am I going to watch their show and give them money? You know? (laughs) So I didn't watch it. And then, so in 2015, I got an agent in Atlanta and moved to Atlanta. And that's when everything took off. Like, I booked one credit. So I booked Scandal Mm -hmm. in 2015 here in LA. And just that one credit got me a really good agent in Atlanta because Scandal was such a hot show at the time. And that got me my agent. And so when I moved to Atlanta, I started booking all the stuff, basically everything on my resume. Like true to t- I booked within like, I've been in LA and, then, and, and it took me five years to book. I was in Atlanta for four months and I was like on set with Kate Mara. Like, oh my God, I have like goosebumps. Spitting in her face because I was playing this role and I actually, not a loogie, but like some spit came out. Yeah. And then they loved it. They're like, oh, and the spit on the face was uh, an amazing touch. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yeah, I'm just an artist. What can I say? Right, right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so being Atlanta was just like, that's when I did Black Panther and just all these crazy roles. Like, in, I was in Louisiana. I was in New Orleans and New York. I did, uh, I got to do the, they did a reboot of the Sopranos film. I booked that. Just Atlanta was just such a big blessing because uh, obviously, like, there was a lot more opportunity for Black roles because Tyler Perry. But not even that. Like, there's a lot of shows that are not Black cast. But they film in Atlanta, so a role that maybe was going to be ethnically untitled, basically, they'll end up casting it Black just because there's more Black actors in Atlanta than there are in L.A. So it ends up being just a more diverse cast, which is really cool. Like, a lot of, like, shows, people don't even realize, like, shows like Vampire Diaries and, like, just random shows that are not Black cast, they have so, if you look at, like, The Barista or, like, The Mailman, there's a lot more diverse people that get cast on those shows because oh, they're, they're in Atlanta. So it's not even a black so show. Yeah. So um, that's why I was able to get a lot of the little like one-liners and like day player roles because they were just, they're just, it's just, they cast what was there. And in, in Atlanta, there's just more black people. And it was like, I, I had less competition. I wasn't have to compete against the Becky and the Hannah and the Amanda. And then maybe they might consider a black person. Right. You know what I mean? So it was like that. So that was really what helped me out a lot. And then, so I was there for five years. And basically, so long story short, I booked a film in LA while I was in Atlanta and it ended up shooting in Ghana. And like everybody in the cast was like, in a, it was like supposed to be this big deal. And like, it, they put so much money into it and they're like, you need to be back in LA. Like how can you need to be here? So I moved back to LA two years ago. And you know how these things go. We shot a movie two years ago. I don't know what's happening with the movie. So <sighs> it's one of those things, you know? When I was doing it, I was like, if I never do book another role again, I will be, I will die happy. Cause I was literally in Ghana shooting a film with Ghanaian actors all around me. Like the hair and makeup, everyone was Ghanaian. So cool. I felt, I was like, I could die happy now. Like if no one sees this film, I was the lead and it was the most amazing (sighs) experience I've ever had in my entire life. And then that was two years ago. So I don't know if it'll ever see a lot of day, but that's basically what brought me back to LA because they were doing like festivals and they were doing a lot of interviews and things here. And they're like, you need to be, and that was before Zoom, people were doing Zoom 
You know what I mean? So right. Like, be here. So that's what brought me back to LA. So since being here, I obviously have like the resume that I've built over the past 10 years, but it's definitely, you know, big fish, small pond, and then ginormous ocean where I don't stand out here like I did. Like, like you know, in certain markets, it's like, yeah. I like now the credits that I have on my resume now, now I'm up to like, I'm out of the dugout. Like I'm at least like, okay, I can come to bat and give my hit. Whereas before yeah. it was like, I couldn't get that because I didn't have the credits. Like you can't get auditions without credits when you can't get credits without, without auditions. I'm in the dugout right now. Like, right? It's insane. It's and then such like, a catch-22. You, you gotta get your SAG card. You can't do SAG without a SAG card, but how do you get your SAG card if you can't do SAG work? Don't you, have one. <laughs> and you go, so you know what I'm talking about, right? So that's yeah. how it was. So the first five years was like that. I was in the dugout. Didn't get, and then now that I'm back in LA, the second, I would call it the halftime. I've been back mm-hmm. in LA for two years, a full, fat, thick resume of like, okay, if you look at my resume, it's like, yeah, give her a shot. Yeah. And even now with getting the shot, it's still like, oh my God. It's just like, you are so lucky if you can get, if you can book a guest star, oh my God. If you can book a recurring, I mean, like anything, like it used to just be like, oh, if I could book a series regular, cause you don't even know how hard it is. But it's like, if you can book a co-star and then a guest star and then a recurring, I mean, you're doing good. Oh my God. This so that's is like, I'm at now. So inspirational to like listen to because like for me, like as an actor, my resume is so green. Like I've done like nothing, but it's weird being like, no, I don't question my like talent or my professionalism or my like worthiness when it comes to booking. But it's like you said, if you don't have all those other little puzzle pieces in place, that's not good. You being like, I can do this role isn't enough to get you in the room, you know? And, and it's like, obviously lightning strikes. You can be dating Steven Spielberg's son or yeah. you might run it, you know, run it swiping left on somebody on Tinder that owns this production company. Like that happens every day where somebody just has a random connection. Like tomorrow you can meet somebody and they can give you like Lala. She's fucking dating Randall Emmett. Like she can be in whatever <laughs> fucking movie she want now. Nonetheless, on top of being on Vanderpump, even if she wasn't on Vanderpump, she would have an acting career now because she's married to Randall Emmett. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that happens to people every day. But if you're like an average person who is talented and attractive, good luck without having a strike of lightning happen. Either way, like I, I remember, I'll never forget an actor teacher told me, people want to be like, oh, I've been in LA for this amount of years and I haven't booked anything and they want to cry in this. You can't even count the amount of years that you've been pursuing this career. You count those years after you get everything that it re- is required to even be at the plate. So I don't even like, I've been doing this for 11 years, but I really only count the past five because prior to that, I wasn't SAG. I didn't have the right representation, didn't have the credits. You know what I mean? Didn't have the reel that I have now. Yeah. If you don't have all this stuff, you're at zero. Yeah, truly. Have you ever seen Lala's, um, the stills of her doing that period movie that she did where she was like standing? Her, you can't have plastic surgery like that in a period piece. It looks ridiculous. It looks crazy. She was in that like dowdy suit. Like, and like, yeah. <laughs> her fucking duck lips and her micro braided eyebrows. Yes. I can't. I can't. Keep it to my nerves. Uh, I learned from Utah. So much. Like so much because like, it's so triggering for me. Like her story, like her actor story, like, yeah, I'm an actress. And then she just like ended up at Vanderpump and like sucked dick for Range Rovers. And here I am now I'm pregnant. Like it's just yeah. like, and then, oh, yeah, and don't forget, I'm a gangsta. Like, it's yeah, so- and Randall calls her hoopies because she always wears hoop earrings. I'm like, get out of here. No, he doesn't. He just makes it. He instigates the entire thing that is Lala. He loves it. Yeah, the whole. Which is good for them. Yeah. 
you know? But I, but I don't, I don't like watching it. I don't need to see it. I know. I remember Stephen and I, we ran into her at, in West Hollywood and it was like, oh, let's go over. And it was like exciting because it's like, oh, a Bravo celebrity. But like, as soon as I got over there, I was just like, ill. Did y'all say hi? We did go over and say hi, but I said to her face, I was like, I didn't want to come over here because I'm not that bitch. But uh, <laughs> hey, what, what did she say? She said, oh, I'm glad you did. I'm glad. And I was like, but you're, I was like, I guess you're nice. She's like, yeah, glad you came over. Like trying to be so like, I'm so nice to fans. Like, look how nice I am. You're like, okay, okay, Lauren. And I really wanted to say, are the rumors true that you're pregnant? Because literally two days after <gasps> we saw her, she announced her pregnancy. And I was so close to being like, so are you pregnant? Oh my God. <laughs> I, her like that. I was like, I'm not going to do her like that. Oh my gosh. I'm never thinking have been like, well, actually, <laughs> now that you ask. <laughs> <laughs> All the Vander babies. I mean, I know they're going to have a spinoff show. I want to say I'm not going to watch it, but no promises I might. Yeah, I, I don't mean I'm not any. proud. Yeah. I watch whatever the fuck I want to watch. I don't care about <laughs> if I'm black or white. Like, if I want to watch Vanderpump, if I want to watch Southern Charm, if I want to watch OC, I watch it. I might not tell you that I'm watching it, but <laughs> if I'm bored at home and I've watched everything else, I might watch it. Yeah, yeah. I, as far as the acting conversation goes, I wanted to ask, who is, like, a dream, like, director or actor that you would, like, love to work with someday in the acting space? Okay, dream director... I honestly, like, his name is escaping me right now. Well, oh, okay, okay, okay. Okay, okay. I would love to do a project directed and show ran by Misha Green, mm-hmm. who, she's a Black woman, and she is the director, writer, showrunner of Lovecraft Country, and also <gasps> the show called The Underground Railroad. That was her first <sighs> show. She does a lot of work on Insecure as well. She's a bomb as fuck. Like, she's super talented, amazing director. And I honestly would love to do a project with Adam Driver, because he's so visceral. The way he acts is so animalistic, and he scares me. Like, I'm like, oh my God, I feel like if I did a scene with him, he would make me get an Oscar, because he would just, like, take me there you know oh my gosh he does have that like really intense like theater vibe of like you don't know what I'm gonna do next (laughs) yeah (laughs) he's insane but he would really like he would make you get your moment like if you were getting your clothes I've worked with actors like that where like once it's time for you to do your close-up they don't give a fuck like they just like check out or whatever he seems like the type that he would really just like get in there with you and like help you get to that place and like yeah so I would love to work with Adam Driver. And obviously, like, I would, I would love to, who else? What's a female that I, I really like? Because there's so many that I love. Like, whenever people ask me about actors, there's so many actors that I love for so many different reasons. I know. Like, there'll be some actors that I only, like, I, like, I only love their performance in this piece, in this one project. Like, yeah. and, that's, and that's the only thing I like. But I love um, Juliette Lewis. Oh, Something about her. Every time, every role, she gives, she really goes from her gut, I feel like. She, like, she has her type, like, you know, she almost kind of plays that sort of, like, that, what I think of, I think of, like, a, um, like, a single mom who, like, hasn't washed her hair in days, and, like, yes. maybe she has a pill problem, like, that. Yes. She's great, too, so. Oh, I love those answers. Obviously, Viola. I love Viola. Oh. I love her a lot. And She's I, amazing. I, you know what I, well, I like a lot, too? Uh, her name is Gugu. She was in the newsroom, the black girl in the newsroom that committed suicide. Yes. Love her. She just booked something else really big, but I don't remember what it was. But she's like going places. Yeah, she is. Yeah, she is. she's on. The, she's on the way. She's yeah. great. I like her a lot. Where did you grow up? I grew up in North Carolina. 
uh, sometime in Georgia, like when I was younger, but North Carolina is like where I went to like high school and like, mm-hmm. you know, love good stuff. Do you miss it? Um, not really. I mean, I go home for the holidays. Like I went home COVID friendly. I know it was like, it's so stressful to even talk about it. Cause it's like traveling is, but I was like, I hadn't seen my mom in like a year and a half. And I have a brand new nephew that I hadn't oh. seen who quarantined and like got an Airbnb in quarantine. Anyway, I'm just saying that some of the listeners don't judge me like, girl, I heard you travel. <laughs> <laughs> we were very, very safe. But, um, yeah. So I, whenever I go there, I enjoy it. Cause it's just, it's like, it feels like home and I can just sort of check out my family, but I don't think I could live there. One, because, like, I live in the arts district downtown L.A. Like, it's so diverse. Like, I go to the Mm -hmm. coffee shop. It's, like, you know, Hispanic, Black, white, Europeans, like, everywhere. Like, I just need that, you know? Yeah. I don't want to raise my kids in, like, a southern, like, racist town. Like, my town is so racist. Like, there's Trump fucking shit in the yard everywhere you turn. Like, it's disgusting. So, no, I will not raise my family there. But I do enjoy going back there and just, like, being with with my family because they don't give a shit about me. Like, my family doesn't care about me. Like, they don't, they're not impressed with anything I do. The only role that I've ever done that they ever watched, I have like dozens of roles on TV shows and shit. They only watch Black Panther. Like that was the only one that they were like, oh my God, like telling all their friends. And that was my tiniest role. I've had roles where I've had seven, eight, nine episode arcs. And then the Black Panther where I had like one sentence is the only time they've ever been like, oh my God. So they definitely make me humble when I go home because they don't care about my Instagram or my acting roles or anything. Oh my gosh. Shut up and sit down and hold my. Hold. They're like, you want to babysit your nephew or what? Because I need the day <laughs> off. And I'm like, sure, I will do it because they know I will. Oh, I love that though. I like it's, my dad's like the same way where he's like, okay, but like, how many lines? Okay, exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh, so it's just a little one. Oh, okay, a little one off. <laughs> yeah, like you don't even know how hard it was. Like we were talking about to like get that. I know. I always like, I, there's this, I'll never, there's this one audition that I go to a lot and they have this thing on the wall that I, I seriously want to like print it off and like put it on the, on my forehead to anyone that asks me the question of, Oh, what have you been in anything I've, I've seen you in or anything that I know you from? It's like, it was this breakdown of like what it takes to get a role. So they, so the, you know, the role, the, the script comes out and then the casting director comes to the script picks out the roles, writes down the character breakdown. They send that character breakdown out to agents. The agent looks over the character breakdown and says, hmm, let me think, what actors do I have that fit this character breakdown? Now, if you don't have an agent, hello, how are you? You're not in the mix. Yeah. not calling Hannah Brown and saying, Hannah, would you like to audition for this? I would. <laughs> exactly. So your agent then has to have the re- relationship already with the casting for them to call them up because they're only mm-hmm. going to send it out to four or five agencies at that initial email. And then they're going to put it on the, the, the casting, the breakdowns and stuff. So it's going to reach more people. But really by the time it gets to the breakdowns, they've already got their top 20. So if you're not on that first email list, good luck. Mm-hmm. So then there's that. So even after that, they're still getting thousands of submissions. They might watch a couple hundred and then they might bring in to actually audition a hundred. And then they might give 50 a callback, then like 20 a second callback and then like five of you might get a, a, a chemistry read yeah. and then one person fucking gets the role from thousands of people. So then I told my parents that like whenever you see someone say, Oh, do you want cream in your, with your coffee or you want fries with that or a police officer pulling someone over and they have one line that is from thousands of people that got that one line. So I try to like, that's when I remember my parents, they give me shit and they're like, Oh, or people want to ask, what have I seen you in? 
I literally want to put that on top of my forehead, like just the mathematical breakdown of like what it takes to get down to you actually booking the job. Yeah. And it's it's huge. You're so hard on yourself. Like you can't beat yourself up if you just didn't even happen to even receive your agent, then get the breakdown or you don't even have an agent. Like there's no point in being like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm not famous. Yeah. So much goes into it. So much goes into it. I I just read an article that was about like, I think that it was on Jezebel and the title was like the problem with anointing like a celebrity, was it feminist or activist? Basically it was talking about like Alison Williams, Lena Dunham and Rachel Brosnahan and how it was like, all these women need to take the time to like outline, like I have a well-connected family. Mm-hmm. I'm white. I'm pretty. I'm thin. Yep. I'm physically totally. able. Like there are so many things mm-hmm. that were at play from birth to give them the platforms they now have to be activists and make an impact. But it's like, you have to acknowledge all those other things that mm-hmm. gave you this level of success this young. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And a lot of people don't realize, like, casting casting directors, they are the gatekeepers, but you really can't take any of their decisions personally because they're not going to cast something if they haven't already seen it make money. Mm-hmm. So that's why Black Panther was so powerful because it was the first Marvel film that they saw that could actually make a lot of money, and it's a Black cast. They didn't yeah. really think it could. It's like, oh, now that they see that Black cast, Black movies can make money, well, then there's no reason for them not to because they don't, these execs, they're just, they care about money. Right. So, I remember after Lupita in 2014, Lupita Nyong'o, she won an Oscar and I had been interning at this casting office and they had been casting this role for probably about a week and a half. And the breakdown was just like African-American slash a couple other things. So it was like African-American was optional, but really it could have been Latina or, you know, Asian, anything, basically ethnically ambiguous. They didn't really point pinpoint that they wanted a black person. Mm -hmm. They knew they wanted someone brown because they probably, the, 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 uh, Execs probably told them that they had to fill it with a brown person. But then once Lupita won the Oscar, the next day, my casting director redid the breakdown and did a reference to Lupita Nyong'o. <gasps> like, oh, we want someone that looks like her. Because, oh, someone that looks like her can win an Oscar at a movie that, and then so it's like, oh, someone that is the lead of a movie that looks like her can win an Oscar, which means that director is going to get more money and all the people that work in that film is going to get more money. So it literally is like, these people, they have to see it done. They don't have any, they don't want to have an imagination. They're right. not need to have an imagination. People think, oh, I want to discover talent. I'm so passionate about casting. They don't care. They want their job to be easy and very right. clear. And they don't want to have to convince someone of their idea. They want to do their job efficiently and then help them make money. So- that's why I'm like, these black, like, I, I love when I see, like, black superhero movies and things like that, because they reach so many people. Mm-hmm. And it really opens up a lot of doors and people that don't, they don't even realize it. Even not down, it starts in the entertainment industry, but it trickles down everywhere. everywhere right. You know? Right. Anyway, okay. so that, I love how uh, you asked me if I liked my hometown and it brought me back to that. But that is one of the things about going home. It's like, it's weird because it's like, it's very racist, it's steeped in the sort of, you know the culture there mm-hmm. but I have a lot of blackness around me so I like it it's like a warm hug but then we it's it, we're very it makes us very close because we know that like okay who are our people because most of the people around here even my fiance my fiance is white and his family like they love their guns mm-hmm. they call it their home protective device oh I God. had my home protective device I heard a little cricket outside I went and grabbed it <gasps> like they think it's their right to shoot any and everybody oh because my God. it's their home protecting it's legal so oh my that's God. just somebody that's actually going to be related to me. It's disgusting. Holy shit. Yeah. 
Yeah, he says grandpa used to say there's a difference between an N-word and an N-word. So an N-word and a black person. <gasps> I was just like, okay. So fucking ignorant. It's just disgusting. And I still have to go over there because it's just like, okay, like, what am I going to do? I'm not going to convince this man that to not be racist. So I'm going to divide the entire family. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm just like, well, maybe he'll die soon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, then like that falls, the responsibility falls on your fiance too, to have your back in all those situations. Oh yeah, always. But they, it's like, they're so cowardly that like, it never comes up in conversation. You know, mm-hmm. these people are cowards. Mm-hmm. When I tell you they're, they're not even like those people that are taking over the Capitol. They're not those type. Mm-hmm. They're like cowardly type. They'll say it when you leave. Like but, they're very nice and like polite. Oh, yeah. Very nice. Right. Nice. So nice. And they love me because God, Jesus loves all the little children, red and black and white and brown and purple. They don't, they, they, they don't see color. That's, they're that, that type. Mm. So it doesn't come up in conversation to me or my fiance. And so the boundary is don't speak to me about anything of these matters. I'm going to, I'm not going to be, you know, a divisive force in the family because I, we eventually want to have children and I don't, and these people are going to die because it's a generational thing. It's not his parents. It's the generational, the people that are never going to change. Right. So I'm like, okay, if I can be in your presence once a year and you don't speak to me, then that's fine. I'll do this till you die. Cause yeah. there's never a way out. Yeah. So that's what we, that's, that's what we have to hope for at least. But if the, if the time ever comes that it comes to that, I, I have, I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident that my fiance it wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be a good day. Good. I mean, not good, but like good that he'll have your back oh, yeah. in those oh, kinds of situations. Sure. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's why they know, they know that like, okay, it's not even a matter of like, oh, do we want to hurt Sasha? It's like, do you want to have a relationship with your grandson or your son? Because that's really, they don't care about me. And I think that's what it boils down to because they've made it very clear that if it ever feels disrespectful or even slightly racist, Mm-hmm. Then that there goes the relationship. Mm-hmm. So boundaries, we love it. You know, right? Boundaries. That's why I do a lot of that in my stories. It's like I'm not expecting everyone to like any family member that says something racist. Like you got to just correct them. It's like if the opportunity presents themselves and they want to be open, they want to have a conversation. Awesome. Mm-hmm. But these a lot of these people are mentally ill. They're so stuck in the way they think. There's nothing you can do to rewire. When when you're getting into that age range of like grandparents and uncles and stuff, they're not going to change their mind. They're just not. Yeah. Yeah. So if the opportunity presents itself, I'm happy to have the conversation, but I'm not going out of my way to talk to somebody that's fucking ignorant and ruin my Thanksgiving. No way. Not eat me. your turkey, eat your stuffing, have they a glass of wine, there. enjoy they yourself. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what was junior high like for you? Um, it was good. I, you know, I talk about this a lot. It was a hard time. It was good because I had like, you know, I was into my like extracurriculars. So I was always like dancing and doing that sort of thing, but it was always kind of just a struggle just because of like, I'm dark skinned. That was like a lot of what defined my middle school is like being bullied because of that. And it was just hard because it was a fun time, but it, that was always like this fear of mine. Like how, what are they going to be like? Cause white people didn't tease me about being dark skinned because they just, you're, if you're black, you're black. They didn't really mm-hmm. like when I was in the South, I don't ever remember a black, a, a white person being like, that's why you're dark skinned. Cause they just, they're just like, you're black or you're white. Mm-hmm. But I definitely remember like it more so came from like black girls and guys that would be like, oh, the black guys would say, oh, you're cute for a dark skinned girl. Or it would be like, oh, you would be cute if you were lighter, fair skinned 
or just like, and then girls, if I ever got in any sort of argument or any, any point of contention would always, the first thing would be like, well, that's why your mom looked like you left in your oven too long. And then it was the Oreo coming. So it was like a, a lot of me just trying to make sure that I don't piss anyone off because I just knew that that was going to be the goal. You know, someone that's like, they know they're overweight. And so they don't want to make anyone mad because they know they're going to call them fat. Like immediately, that was like kind of what it was. Like always yeah. trying to like say the right thing and act a certain way so that no one will like pick on me for being dark skinned. And then just like struggling with, okay, I do a lot of these extracurricular activities and a lot of my friends are white, but I want to, but I want to, I have my black girlfriends too, but then it's like, okay, well, you're acting white. You're hanging around these white people who think you're better than us. And you know, that's the code switching of it all. Exactly. exactly. Trying to try, always trying to say the right thing and be the, be black enough, be white enough, depending on what space I'm in. So that was a lot of middle school, high school, it got a lot better, Mm -hmm. but middle school was probably the toughest time with the uh the bullying it was like it was always weird because like they didn't call me ugly or fat or stupid you know what I mean or any of those things that people it's like you're dark skin what's wrong with that yeah you're like and that's why I'm like now I wish I had just been like okay next that doesn't not they won't tell me that I'm black and ugly they would never be like yo black burnt ugly ass they would never call me ugly they were just like well that's why your ass is black you're black too bitch so because I'm a couple shades darker than you, then you're going to oppress me? Like, come on. It's very sad. It is. Yeah. And and you actually also just talked about that on um, the Bravo Breakdown with the Real Housewives of Potomac reunion yes. and that conversation between Ashley and Monique and then Wendy and Candace and just how upsetting it is to, I think you said the it's the equivalent of like, if you told me that something I said was racist and I was like, no, it's not. It's yes. like- the same thing exactly it's like just because you haven't had that personal experience because you're privileged enough because you're fair-skinned mm-hmm. you're gonna just tell me that what i'm experiencing is not real it's like it's no a it is horrible feeling it's a yeah. horrible feeling and people you know people a lot of people say especially ashley like she's like a, a, a white man's black girl because she's black but she's her skin is just light enough her skin is her hair is kinky but it's, it's just loose enough the pattern is just she's got attitude but she's just well-spoken enough you know, to still be a trophy wife. And so especially hearing it come from someone like Ashley, who was in that place of privilege, it really stung. Yeah. Because, hey, girl, you got to have some self-awareness. Like you guys are there in all this therapy and you've never looked at yourself to see your own privilege. You know what I'm saying? Like you have to look at that. There is privilege. The lighter, the lighter your shade of your skin is, the closer you are to whiteness, the more privilege that you have. Mm-hmm. And to deny that, it really is like a missed opportunity. It really was. Can you imagine had Ashley been like, wow, I did not realize that. And now that you say that, you are absolutely right. I do have privilege because my hair is loosely curled and my, my skin is fair. I do have mm-hmm. privilege. I apologize because I didn't even think about the weight that word carried for someone like you who is dark skinned. I don't have the experience that you've you had in your life. And I apologize. Mm-hmm. If she had said something like that, can you imagine Wow, I would have been so impressed with her. I'd have been like, I would have wanted to send her a DM, a voice. I'm like, thank you, thank you. Right? Because everybody wants, everybody is so, and that's the thing about racism is that it's so nuanced. And I feel like white supremacists and really just like white America that still wants to benefit from racial injustice, they want racism to be very black or white. Like, well, I didn't say the N word, so I'm not racist. Right. And it's the same thing with um, consent. Like they wanted to be like, oh, well, uh, you didn't say you didn't like really you acted like you wanted it kind of. But then you try to change your mind a little bit. It's like, no, 
consent to me, it gets very nuanced. I remember uh, I was watching, uh, what's the show? Um, I May Destroy You. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that show? Oh my gosh, no, I still need to watch it. It's so fucking good. She does a whole monologue about consent and how like the, the, uh, the predators, they want it to be really like muggy and like make you not want to be clear on whether or not you consented or not. So example being like the guy, she was having sex with a guy and in the middle of sex, he was doing it from behind and took, his, took the condom off because he couldn't come with it on and finished in her. <gasps> and she's like, that is rape. You, you, I did not give you consent to take that fucking condom off. Right. You know what I'm so like something like that is like, people want to be like, oh, they want it to be so black and white. Like that is such a clear example of like, racism is the same way. I don't, I don't know if I'm making sense, but the parallel no, are. Draw is that like, no one thinks about like whether or not someone gave consent to wear a condom or not is rape. But those little nuances is what they don't want us to talk about. Like they don't want us to talk about the racism that is involved when you say, oh my God, your hair texture is so pretty. It looks so much better today than it did yesterday when you had those cornrows. Oh, you look so much more professional with your hair straight than it does when you wear it in a kinky ponytail. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, why? They need to understand the tiny nuances of what they're saying and why that is racist and why that is so harmful. Right. So, yeah. So that's that really is. um, I that was when the Black Lives Matter movement was brought back to the light in early June that was really when I first made the connection of the experience that I had in middle school, all of the microaggressions, all of the colorism, all of the, just the black on black hate that I experienced because of what they have taught us. They've taught us to hate ourselves. So we, you know, we hate each other. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even realize it. I didn't realize that that was what was happening to me. I knew that it was painful, but I didn't realize the language to really describe what it was. Explain and, it. Yeah. And being the, you know, being in the gifted class and, you know, oh my God, you're so well-spoken or, oh my gosh, like, you know, all these, all these things that are supposed to be compliments. Right. It's that like intent versus impact conversation exactly. of like, I know you were trying to be nice, exactly, but here's why that's actually not an okay thing to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Oh, junior high, what a time. Well, also, and, and like, not to keep bringing up acting, but also I've heard you on, uh, I forget which podcast, I'm sorry, but you were, t- I think it might've been what else was going on also. You were talking about how even in the acting space, there are breakdowns where, or you felt like, am I too black? Am I not black enough? Like, yeah. what is it that you want for this role? And like how pigeonholed the black community can be in TV and film. And like you said, it's getting better, but for a while there, it's like, it just wasn't fair. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I really think that Scandal was probably the first. I mean, I don't. In my adult life, I think that was like the first black woman that I had seen in a lead role in a television show. I think she is like probably the first on like a prime time mm-hmm. lead role of a television show. And so, first of all, I had never seen it done and then whenever I did see black women in roles, it sure as hell wasn't a lawyer, someone mm-hmm. working in the White House. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It was those certain types of roles, the stereotypical roles that they want to give black girls, you know, the black best friend of the white girl. And then the, you know, the, the black dudes have to be gangsters or rappers or athletes. Mm-hmm. So that was a lot of what it was the first five years. So now like they were just starting to see like, I, like that's why I love I May Destroy You so much. Mm-hmm. Because it's just, just a black girl. Insecure. She's just a black girl. Yeah. Because white girls, they get to be just basic Becky white girls every day of the week. I can turn on TV any day of the week and find a basic white girl playing herself. 
Jennifer, Jennifer uh, Aniston, I was about to say Jennifer Lawrence, but both of them, Jennifer <laughs> Lawrence and Jennifer Aniston and Jessica Biel and Jessica this and Amy, Amy, Amy and Rachel, they have gotten to make careers from playing themselves pretty much. 100%. It's about damn time that, oh, in order to be a black actress that wants an Oscar, you don't have to be getting beat like a slave mm-hmm. or you don't have to be play a biopic where you're playing a historical figure. You don't have to lose 50 pounds and have a dramatic transformation to be considered a serious actor. Because that's how it was for a long time. In order to be considered a serious actress as a black person, you had to be playing this really gruesome role, this role that was just like really, I mean, probably traumatic to play, to be honest. Right. They want to make us relive our trauma in order to give us an award. So that was really a lot of the work that you had to be doing to be taken seriously. And that's a lot of what my first credits were also like slave number two or housemaid help. And then like kind of, and then 2017, I booked a role in Halt and Catch Fire where I was in the tech world. So I was like, oh, this black girl can also be in the tech world. But the mm-hmm. first couple of years, it was a lot of that. Or they would maybe be play roles that were like hyper-masculine because my hair, not right now, but usually I have like shorter hair. They would want to make me hyper-masculine. So it's like weird. But so I'm like, now it's finally, honestly, within the like past couple of years that we're getting to see black girls just play black girls. Yeah. Different variations of that. Yeah. And that's like, as a white viewer of Insecure, like I love that show so much. And I remember like watching the first season and being like, I love this show because I can relate to some of it as a woman, but there's a lot of it. Like in season one, the secret white person emails at Issa's job, not something I would have ever thought of. Like, there's a lot that I don't understand because I'm white. So I love being able to like, I just, I love that show. <laughs> There'll be sometimes where in, in Insecure where Issa will have a line or a character will say something. And I can't even believe that it made it on the screen because it would be, it's so specific to the black woman experience that I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they just said that. Like something I would have said to my mom, my cousin, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Or a slang or something like a certain way you wear your hair. Some, anything that is very specific to the black woman experience. Mm-hmm. I'll still insecure. I'm shocked because I've seen where like, like other shows, well, they will like hint at it, but then they'll like water it down, make it white, make it more digestible to everyone. Yeah. But what I love about Insecure is they really like, they don't care. It's like, so what? It'll just be for us. If you don't get it, then you get wake up because black culture is the culture. So yeah. if you don't understand something because you're black, well, you don't understand the culture because we make all the shit up and everybody else just copies it. So really y'all are behind. You know what I mean? I, <laughs> as someone who like many of my closest friends are gay men, it was literally 2020 when I was like, oh, so a lot of the things that I say started with the black community then made it to the gay community. My white gay friends then said it in front of me. Yep. And now I, as a white girl, I'm like, yes! And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. Yep. Everything. I, yeah. 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 What would this world be without Black people? Like, honestly, like, we're the best athletes, the best musicians. We're strong. Like, you know, we're fighters. Like, we're invincible. Like, everything that we've gone through, and now we're fucking in the White House, like, twice. I mean, yeah. we're unstoppable. They can't keep us down. And they try so hard because of the fear. Mm -hmm. They want to be on top. The the way that humanity is set up, it's it's, uh, survival of the fittest. So like, it's like kill or be killed. They know that we're stronger, faster, smarter, more talented, more brilliant. That's why they want to destroy us because they're afraid. But we're not, what do they think we're going to do? We're just going to shine. That's it. That's all we want to do is shine. That's, I mean, yeah. Shine away. (laughs) And not get killed. 
it's that's not, it. it's not no, asking a lot. All we want is to shine and not get killed. That's it. We're not asking for a lot. I think, think that like, I don't know what they think. Like whoever came, I want to know like whoever came up with this concept, like, oh yeah, we're going to make it, their skin is lighter than you're better. Like it's, it's, it's mentally like, it, there's no sanity around it. No. It's at all scary. it's not smart to be racist no. it honestly is like it's not smart because you're judging someone off something that they literally have no control over yeah <sighs> girl i mean i agree <laughs> it blows my mind like i know my mind how people just like i don't it's laziness though it is it's it's an inability yeah, it's a laziness because it's basically like, no, things need to stay the way they are because the way things are benefit me as a white person. And if I accept this this much better, more equal reality, then I feel like I'm losing something. Yep. But it's like, no, you're not losing anything. Black people are just being treated the way that we've always been treated as white people. Mm-hmm. I just... It's that fear, the fear of the unknown, the fear of loss of control. I, it's, it's very similar to me, even just like with religion. Like if someone like, if they just believe so strongly that their religion, their religion is the only way, the only one true God. Yeah. Why would they want to consider your point of view? It makes, that makes their life harder. It's right. It's easy for them to block everything out and be in their routine and their monotonous way of seeing the world. Because the way of the, that they see the world, it makes them comfortable. Right. It affirms who they are. It gives them an explanation for things that they don't understand. So by, by questioning that, you're taking that away from them. And that's how people who with racism, it, it, make, it makes them uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't understand why people are so afraid of being uncomfortable. Because most of the time, if you're uncomfortable, that means you're in a space where you're like, you're doing some type of work to make a change in yourself. What's wrong with that? Yeah, it's true. It's called growing pains. And there's that- something better on the other side of it. There's growth on the other side of it. <sighs> So what was your what was your first job? Uh, I worked at Hollister. <gasps> oh my gosh! Were you were you the person who stood at the front of the store and was like, "Hey, yep. <gasps> horrible"? I had to be like, uh, uh, "What was it? It was like we have jeans for everybody, like everybody, oh. everybody." Oh, so I would be like, "So here's the chart. Um, would you like me to start your room?" Really, I'm like. <laughs> Oh my God, they're not for everybody because I've tried on every fucking pair of and they won't get over my ass. But I have to stand here and smile and we had to spray that fucking cologne every fucking 30 minutes. And it gave me the word. And it was so dark. They so dark. So dark. You don't even know what you're buying. You can't no, even see. Exactly. That's how they want it though. <laughs> you're like, oh wait, what? This t-shirt was $40? This flimsy yeah. see-through fucking thing? Yeah. Oh my God, I hated it. So yeah, that was my first job and I hated it. It didn't last very long. Retail is really fucking hard. I tried it this year in the pandemic and full disclosure, I quit because I was having anxiety attacks amidst the pandemic. And I also was like, I suck at this. I hate it. Retail is the worst. I was like, I worked in restaurants for a long time. I had my issues with it. Would take it over retail any day. Oh yeah. The thing that sucks so about retail is that it's so stagnant. Like yes. it's a lot of standing around. Oh my God. They drag on so much. It's so annoying. Like at least when you're waiting table, you're on your feet. Your, your ship goes by fairly fast. You're moving. Yeah. Yes. But then you're just standing there folding shirts all day. Like, can I start your room? Like, oh, like. It's oh. awful. And then like, yeah, you'll get the store looking perfect and the store closes in like a half hour. And then like 10 people come in and just like rifle through everything. And you're like, oh. 
You got to put it all back. You got to finger space all those hangers. The finger spacing. I'm like, it looks fine, right? And my coworkers would be like, no, you didn't do it right. I'd be like, but I don't understand. Horrible. Horrible. Um, what was your favorite outfit that you wore to a school dance? Oh. Oh, yeah. Okay. The only dance I remember, I remember, okay, so I was homecoming queen. <gasps> I remember my homecoming dress. Yes. I remember my homecoming dress because we went to like David's bridal and it was like $20. Amazing. Like on the clearance rack and it was $20 and it was just like, it fit like a glove. I didn't need any alterations and I just wore it. It was like this like uh, champagne colored dress. <sighs> I actually probably should have kept that dress, honestly, because it wasn't bad. It sounds it was pretty. It's cute and it was really cheap. Oh, was it fun winning homecoming queen? It was fun. It was fun. It I was like one of those things where it's like, you know, it probably won't happen again at that school because I was like like one of the only white pe- black people in like, there's probably like five of us in the entire class. Yeah. And so I'm like, well, good luck with having another one. Another one after me. Because I'm like, that was like a strike of lightning to even have a black homecoming queen. Wow. You know, it really was. The only reason why I won was because I was in everything. So I was like on the dance team and in theater and, you know, uh, what do you call it? The student council. So when you're just like in everything, it's like, oh, yeah, there's that black girl who's in everything. Oh, yeah, I know her name. I'll check that box. I wasn't really like friends with a ton of people. I only had like three friends. Mm-hmm. But I was just like the black girl that was in everything. They just saw me all around and there was only like five of us. So it's like, cool, we'll go with her. You deserve to win. I love it. I love it. Now you get to say for the rest of your life that you're a homecoming queen, which yes. is great. Um, who was your cartoon crush growing up? Ooh. Oh, I liked Arnold. <gasps> Arnold was cool. Yeah. I liked Arnold. Yeah, he was cool. I liked him. He was always like brooding and like moody, like staring out his skylight, like envisioning uh-huh. things in the clouds. Uh-huh. I liked him. And I, the girl that had the crush on him, I always feel like he was like nice to her. Helga? Yeah. yeah. He never was like rude to her or anything like that. He was just like, okay. No, even though she had like a shrine made out of gum I to know, him I in her know. closet. <laughs> I know. Oh, I love that show. Now I want to rewatch it. My nephew had a phase where he would watch uh, Hey Arnold on tape every night. It made me so happy. I was oh. like, wow, oh, you have such good taste. That yeah. show was great. So good. Oh, good. Hey Arnold. Arnold. Hey Arnold. <laughs> I literally just want to rewatch that now, like for the rest of the day. Um, who would your celebrity bestie be and why? Mm. Celebrity bestie. Who do I like? That's a really good question. I hate being like, that's a good question. It's like you're trying to buy time to like think of a good answer. No, you're fine. But I'm like, because uh, I'm like, I don't, I'm not really like that where I'm like, oh my God, because I'm, you know, as an actor, I don't really like think of them as like their characters as them who they are. Right. You're like, like, it's just a person who I can person, right. work with like, someday. Oh, right. So then well, hopefully, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but then I'm like, okay, well, who do I like? What social media do I like? Um, I'm into like, oh, this is, so, I don't know. I don't know, Hannah. That's okay. Let me know if and when you think of somebody. I mean, I could say like, oh, Chrissy Teigen, but I feel like that's such a, such a basic answer, but I do like her sense of humor. So like in my yeah. head, like we would like message back and forth, like, 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 hey girl, hey, and like send her like funny inside jokes. I also really like Wendy Williams a lot. 
Great. Like, I love her sense of humor when she does. There's nothing like her hot topics at the top of her show that where she is literally sitting in a chair for a half hour and talking shit. I am right there with her. Like every, every hot take she has, I'm like nodding my head along with her. Like I am, we see, we see each other. Yeah. Her confidence, like her ability to just say whatever the fuck she thinks and then like move on. I'm like, I want to have that. I know. And I love how she is so unapologetic. Like she'll say something so weird. She'll say Mm -hmm. the weirdest shit and give weird like stuff about her personal life, about how she ate like a sardine sandwich or something. (laughs) Weird. And I love it so much. And she was one of the first black people that I saw that was like really open about her wigs. Like Mm -hmm. she would like lift her wig up and down while she was doing her hot topics. And I was like, yes, because people, it was like, you know, back in the day it was like, oh, it's like embarrassing to have a wig, but it's okay to wear a weave. And mm-hmm. they used to like, make fun of Kim Zolciak because it's like, you have a wig on and I wear a weave. Mm-hmm. But now everyone wears wigs. Mm-hmm. And so Wendy was like one of the first people that was like, this is a wig and I'm not ashamed to say it. I love that. I like her a lot. I love that. She's fun. She's a good time. She is. She is. Um, what is your favorite act of self-care? Ooh. My favorite. So the one, okay. So my favorite one that I, okay. So there's two, there's one that's my favorite and one that I think I get the most out of. So my favorite one is I just like to take a bath with a ton of magnesium because mm. most people don't know this, but most people are deficient in magnesium. If you have any sort of ailment that you don't know why, if you up your magnesium intake, it will more than likely go away. For example, I had the worst period cramps for my entire adult forever Mm-hmm. I started seeing a natural path and she helped me get like a lot of stuff in order just with like a bunch of deficiencies that I had. But she was like, we're going to start with your magnesium because magnesium is, you know, it's, it's not a supplement. It's a, uh, what do you call it? A uh, mineral. It's a mineral. Oh. So people don't realize like you can, you have mineral things. You need to keep your minerals in check and your deficiencies and your vitamins. So she started having me doing magnesium oil foot soaks. Because your foot absorbs, if they say if you rub a piece of garlic on your foot, you can taste it in your mouth. Like your foot is, your feet are like so absorbent. Whoa. My feet in magnesium oil in like a casserole dish for half an hour, twice a day. I did that for like six months and now I don't have any cramps at all. I will get my period and I won't even know. I'll be like, oh my God, where'd that come from? Because I don't have any cramps like leading up to it. Like I used to take, I'm telling you, ibuprofen by the handful. (gasps) My cramps were so bad. So with that being said, so the, that's the self-care that I love is I'll either take a magnesium or a really, really like a lot of magnesium bath or I'll do a magnesium foot soap. Magnesium foot soaps are almost, they're actually more efficient than the bath because you think, oh, because I'm submerging myself. But when you do the bath, you fill the whole thing up with water and then you put the salts in there. Mm-hmm. You do the oil, it's just oil. It's pure magnesium oil, but you can't soak in the oil because it'll burn your vagina and your eyes and stuff. Um, but you can soak okay. your feet in it. So whenever I do that, I'm like, okay, this is great. This is like really self-care. So that, and then meditation, I know this sounds so cool, like, oh, meditation, meditation. But seriously, people don't realize if you just like make your brain stop and only focus on your breath, what that does for your prefrontal cortex. Like the, the message that sends off to your brain that is related to anxiety and depression, that fight or flight, you actually can turn down that siren by doing meditation. Like it actually works. Wait, how long have you meditated for? Probably eight years. Wow, that's a long time. And then when you were starting, did you start with like two minute meditations? Like, did you work your way up? Yeah. Okay, so I started with a minute 
And when I first started doing it, I would be like, so like, I'd be like, I would make it like, okay, how long can I go in, without like my thoughts going to something else? Mm-hmm. Like, just try to keep your thoughts. But what people don't understand is like meditation, just like yoga is a practice. So the goal is not to have, okay, five minutes of un, un, uninterrupted thought or one minute of uninterrupted thought, or even a minute mm-hmm. of only thinking about your breath. The you think of it as like whenever your thoughts change to away from the breath is like a cloud. It's like a passing cloud. You let it pass. And then you just bring your thoughts back to the breath. So it's actually the practice of bringing your thoughts back to your breath that shrinks that siren that sends off those signals of like, and you know, anxiety and depression and a lot of other mental things that we deal with. Bringing your mind, teaching your, teaching your mind to bring yourself back to the breath, that practice is what is really helpful. So that's really once I, it took me probably, I don't know if I didn't hear it the first couple of years. Like I didn't hear that part about meditation when I was learning about it. I didn't understand it. I was like, okay, breath, think of your breath, bring your breath. And then I would think about like what shoes I was going to wear at a party for three minutes. <laughs> and then I realized that I was thinking about it. I'm like, oh, fuck. Okay, back to the breath. But then now when I find myself thinking about those shoes, the time that I'm thinking about it before I realize it is shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. Mm-hmm. So then you get to a place to where that whole five minutes is actually you thinking about your breath. So that's what I had to accept that like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to another thought, but it's just how long am I on that other thought before I realize that I'm not thinking about my breath? That's so interesting. Yeah. I feel like that's part of why I've never been quote good at meditating. Cause I get impatient and that perfectionist piece yes. comes in where it's like, why aren't you better at this? Why can't no. you just calm down? But it's, yeah, it's an it's unreasonable, practice. yeah, it's an unreasonable request of yourself to be like, I'm just not going to think about anything else, you right. know? Why, why would your mind all of a sudden, okay, mind, do it. Like, yeah. why, why would you know how to do that? Yeah. The first time you try it, like, I know how to do it. Like, I'm just going to think about my breath for 30 minutes. Why would you be able to do that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So now I've gotten to where I can do, I think the last time I did was like 12 minutes That's before thought went away and then I had to bring it back. That's amazing. So, and the only reason why I do it is because I know it works. And it's not one of those things where it's like, oh, I meditated, I feel great. I'm not going to have anxiety anymore. It just is like, okay, I can use that same practice. I'm feeling the tightness in my chest. I'm feeling that lull in my mood. Okay, let me go to my breath. Mm -hmm. I know I've tried to get better. Like I used to get really anxious in grocery stores and like, Anytime I got to a point where I started noticing it because noticing it, I feel like is the hardest part. And then once you start getting better at noticing it, you're like, okay, I need to take a minute. I need to ground. I need to breathe. Mm-hmm. And I need to stop myself from going into this really scary, like anxiety spiral. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Love that. I love that. That's so um, it really is. I mean, it can change your entire day-to-day life. Yes. Yeah. If people realized how powerful it is, I realized it. So for me, whenever I was just starting to use tampons and the like fold out thing. It was like, if it feels like it's tight, take one breath in and hold it for mm-hmm. five seconds and release it. Literally when you release it, your vagina hole expands, like it's tight. And then it literally expands and you can put the tampon in without it hurting. And I was like, Oh my God, that's what your body does. Everything it's, just, it just expands. It releases. So when even place, you don't even know if you did a breath right now and exhaled it, I guarantee you that there was some place, even your toes that there was tension and you released it. That's amazing when you think about it that way. I know. Wow. You learn something new every day. That's so true though. Fun fact, listeners and Sasha, I did not put in tampons for so long because I would get so nervous that it would hurt really bad. I couldn't relax. Should have taken a deep breath. 
I, I think I eventually did. <laughs> I literally had to go to my friend's house and she's like, okay, I'm going to hide in the shower and we're not going to leave the bathroom until you calm down and do it. And it worked. <laughs> That's hilarious. And now I use the diva cup. So I have to take a real deep breath to get that thing in there. Oh my gosh. I'm, 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 no, I haven't. But I had a doctor who was like, you should because tampons are annoying and not necessarily good for you. It's so much better. It's a game changer. Number one, because you don't have to worry about getting TSS, which I always used to have paranoia. I'm going to get toxic shock syndrome. By the way, I have to take it out at the exact right time. So mm-hmm. it's not too long. And then the waste and everything. Mm-hmm. And then the cup, you can't get toxic shock syndrome because you're not absorbing, you're collecting. So you don't, mm-hmm. you're, not, you're, not, you're not so much at risk of like throwing off your pH or getting yeast infections because when you have a tampon, you absorb the blood and the blood and all the other fluid that's in your vagina. Mm-hmm. So you're throwing off your pH balance more. You know what I mean? Whereas if you have the cup in there, you're just collecting it. Wow. I'm learning so much. So good. And then you just dump it out. And if you're a blood person, it might weird you out to see your own blood. But I think it's healthy to see what your blood looks like in a cup like that and pour it out. You can see the consistency of it, the color and everything. And know, make sure you're good to go. Rinse it out in the sink and pop that thing back in there. Knowledge is power, you know? <laughs> Do it. Do a cup game, girl. Oh, my God. You know I'm going to be DMing you being like, <laughs> hey, Sasha, like trying this. Let's yeah. talk. <laughs> Do you have a hype up song? And if so, what is it? Okay, so it changes because I get, so what I do, because I'm a compulsive person, I have addict tendencies. Mm-hmm. We can get, on, get into that off the record because I don't want folks to think I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. But I do have things, I, I, I'm very black or white and I'll be like really compulsive. So an example is like, if I find a food thing that I like, I will eat it to death until mm-hmm. I eat it. Like I'll be like, oh my God, I found this new bar and I'll just eat it every day and just like buy all of them at the grocery store and then I will hate it in like three months. So that's what I do with music a lot. I'll like play something to death. I do I, that too. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I ruined this for myself. Yes. Or like, like with like certain movies, like I ruined them because I've yes. watched them so many times. Yes. That's what I do with music. So it it always changes. But right now I've been playing in the background because for some reason, this concert is just so good. The, um, the Ariana Grande concert on Netflix, mm-hmm. her live version of Dangerous Woman. And also um, there's another song on there. Uh, her Thank You Next. The live version of her singing those songs just give me everything because yes. she sounds amazing and it's so effortless and she's so hyper feminine. Like Ariana is so like, yes. Mm-hmm. And she just gets me into this like power, this feminine power that I have and just like watching her. So I've like, I've a couple of times I've put it on in the background and just like gotten dressed to it or like gotten ready for it to go out or something with it just playing in the background. I it's love really that. Cool. I'm not really that, like, usually live concerts are like, whatever, but this is what, to me, she did a really good job because I wasn't expecting much because she kind of comes across as, like, a lazy performer because she just, mm-hmm. like, wears a ponytail and just kind of, like, walks around. Yes. But her vocals were so on point. It's so true. It literally sounds like, she makes it sound so, so easy. easy. And I'm like, what did you just do with your vocal cords? And some, some performances where there was already a high note on the live, she's taking it higher. She'll go higher than the recording. Like she sounds better than the recording. I know. And it's like, well, you're just showing off now and like, please keep doing it. So quick story. I ran into Ariana Grande like like last year. I was going to meet with my agent and I was getting ready and I was already late. (laughs) You're ready to go in the elevator and somebody comes from the garage. Like, okay, we're holding the elevator for someone. I'm like, I'm going to be late in my meeting. I need to get on the elevator because I had already waited for the elevator. And, I, and she comes and tells me I can't get on it. And I was like, I'm going to be late. And she's like, well, we just, we have to hold it for this person. Then you can get on it. And I'm fucking pissed. And she comes around the corner and I don't, I, I don't even see her because I'm so mad. I don't even care who it is. 
And then as soon, and then literally as the door was closing, I locked eyes with her. And I was like, that's fucking Ariana Grande. And I couldn't believe it. Whoa! I could not believe it. And I was so mad that I didn't realize it was her as soon as she came around the corner so I could just stare at her for like the whole entire time that she was standing there in the elevator. I, didn't, I was just seeing blur. And then by the time I realized it, I was like, Ariana. And then she just gave me this kind of like, yeah, bitch, it's me. <sighs> this look on her face of like, mm-hmm, it's me. What, did she have her ponytail? Yes. Okay. So I don't know why I didn't realize it was her. Let me tell, but it looked kind of ratty. Like it didn't look like a star. Mm. Like she didn't seem like a star for some reasons. I've seen like, I've been in a room with Demi Lovato and she looked like a star. Like every, her shoes, like her nails, her, you know, people that have money, their lashes are always so thick and fluffy and the brows. She just looked famous. Yes. Yes. When I saw Ariana that day, she didn't look famous because her ponytail was like, looked like it was synthetic hair. And then her makeup was like, it just wasn't doing it for me. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I I was like, of course it was her because she had the ponytail and the heavy bronzer and the winged eyeliner and the oversized sweatshirt with the boots and the hoop earring. She had the on. Oh my God. I know, I know. I love that you saw her on like an off day where like her ponytail was like fucked up. I was like, who's this bitch? I thought it was just some like broke actor, Instagram girl, like, you know, like- That's so funny. I looked her dead in the eye as the elevator was closing. And I was like, and she was like, (gasps) I got some. This is why they had to hold the elevator, bitch. And you're going to stand there and wait. (laughs) Someday you're going to make eye contact with someone being like, oh my God, that is Sasha Morfa. And I'll be like, like, come and get on with me. Just don't do anything crazy. Okay. Yeah. Do you ever think about that? I daydream about that all the time. Like us getting lunch someday and then our server like going to the kitchen and being like, I just waited on Sasha Morfa and Hannah Brown and they were really <laughs> nice and they tipped so well. Like all those conversations you have with your server friends. Uh-huh. Uh, that'll be I can't wait. Um, my last question. Oh my God. Not it. No, not last question. I know. I, know. Oh God, I don't want it to end. We'll have to do this again off the mic. Just have like a Zoom happy hour. Can you be my friend now in real life? Like, I, okay, I want to find out where you live and stuff, but. Literally would love nothing more. Literally. Um, what is something considered aspirational that you don't have yet, but you want? Mm. Um... I want, okay, so I want that feeling of like where you wake up in the morning and you're so excited about your day. I want that. I don't think I've, I've had that in like little spurts, like just mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm working on this project or this and that. But I want to have it every day, regardless of what's going on with me career wise. Mm-hmm. And I want a pool yes. at my house that I own. Amazing. In Calabasas. Amazing. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, and maybe a white Range Rover. Great. I think, yeah, I think that, I think that about does it. So yeah, me with a house with a pool in the back, waking up every day feeling like, oh my God, I love my life. I'm so excited. And just like go to Erewhon in my Range Rover. And yes. And then like meet up with a friend like, oh, you want to go do a cycling class? Okay, that's fine. But I'm going to be in the back corner. I'm not going to try that hard, but I want to break like a little bit of a sweat. And then we just go get brunch and mimosas afterwards and then call it a day. The dream. I, that's like such a good point too. Like, cause I think about that too, like having a life that you're really excited about that isn't necessarily tied to career stuff, but it's like, I like have, I can afford a standard of living where like every single square inch of my life gets to be exactly how I want it. I want it. You know? 
what I want. And it used to be so much. I swear I thought that once I got a series regular on a network television show with 20 episodes a year and was making 500K a year, whatever, mm-hmm. that was what was going to make me happy. Mm-hmm. I was like convinced and nothing else could make me happy until then. Mm-hmm. And then I had a small taste of that when I did the recurring. Cause when you're, you know, when you're doing eight episodes, that's almost half the season. Yeah. So you're getting like a feel of it. And it was fun. But like, what am I doing when I'm not at work? What does my life look like? Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And, I, and they used to tell us that all the time as actors, like, you need to find hobbies outside of acting. You need to be other things that you enjoy outside of acting so you can have something to bring to your career. And I'll be like, whatever, like, I'm hardcore. Like, I am here. I'm professional. I'm here about the craft. But it's like, no, like, it's still a job. At the end of the day, when you're being on set for 14 hours, it's a job. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I need to just wake up and enjoy my life. I just want, like you said, I want my home, the aesthetic to be how I want it to be. I need a pool. A pool is aspirational. It is a requirement. Same. I need it. Um, And then a white Range Rover. I cannot wait. I cannot wait for us to go on a lunch date for you to drive up in your white Range Rover. And I'll be like, Sasha, I'll already be sitting. I'll be like, Sasha. Yeah. (laughs) I can run in and be like super LA, super basic. Yes. Take a selfie at the top. All the things, all the things. And we'll go get like cocktails at Tom Tom whenever the world opens up. Oh my God. And then Lauren from Utah will come up to us and be like, I wasn't sure if I should say hi, but I'm a big fan. Uh, and I'm like, no pictures, please. Yeah, no pictures, please. But thank you so much for thank you. thanks for coming over. I'm so glad you're saying hi. So glad you did. Um, Sasha, this was just an absolute joy. Please, please just tell my listeners where they can find you, plug all of your things. This was so much fun, Hannah. Seriously, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming Uh, on. Yeah, so I'm um, on the Instagram, on the Instagram. Instagram (laughs) slash at the Bravo Breakdown. I'm showing my age. Lord, I can't believe I'm 31. I'm 31, Hannah. Yeah, I'm I'm almost 30, so we're in the same boat. I turned 30, so I turned 31, what, three days, four days ago, last Thursday. When I first turned 30, I was like, oh, okay, like 30 is like whatever. But when you get that 30, uh, 30, uh. (laughs) Ooh, it did something to me. Oh God, I feel it. Like I feel it now. When I wake up, I'm just like checking my pulse. Like, am I okay? Like, I just, I, I just bought a, a night guard. Like, things are happening to my body. I don't know what's happening. But anyway, so yes, I was showing my age, saying the Instagram. I'm at the Bravo Breakdown, and I'm on Patreon.com/slash the Bravo Breakdown. I know you have a Patreon as well. Patreon is where it's at. That's where I post the majority of my full content. Uh, the, the Instagram is kind of like basically it's like getting to know me, but really the content is on my Patreon. So Patreon.com/slash Bravo Breakdown. Five dollars really gets you most of the content um the other tiers are mainly just for people that want to support more so you really get everything at the five dollar tier and that's where i'm at and then i'm on instagram every day you know how we at and the stories popping up yes what they want yes y'all follow sasha follow the bravo breakdown subscribe on patreon all the things and sasha thank you so much for coming on thank you and we'll see y'all soon bye